Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much, Sam, for serving us. Thank you, team, for serving us. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to be here today and to celebrate uh, our first birthday. Uh, If we haven't met, uh, my name's uh, Arnaldo, pastor here, and it's such a pleasure to actually even get to this point. Uh, Today, we're going to be kicking off a two-part vision series as we paint a picture of what we want this church to be. And it's going to be really important for us to keep these two weeks together. Pardon that. I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, It's going to be really important for us to keep these two weeks together. So please, if you're not able to be here uh, next week, uh, tune into the podcast or YouTube. It's going to be, I'm really speaking one long two-hour message, uh, but I'm not going to make you suffer, and I'll split it up into two weeks. And what I pray is that we will be able to plant some seeds in our imaginations about what we can be together and how God can fold you in to what he is doing through this local expression of his mission to the world. We want to celebrate the fact that we've made it this far. And I don't say that lightly. I I don't want us to feel that lightly that we've made it this far, that despite the couple years that we've just had, we still exist. And not only do I feel we're existing, but even hearing some of those stories of your thriving in the gospel and through the word and in community gives me hope that we will continue to exist through the adversity of a global pandemic, through the stress, the isolation, the loneliness, the months of lockdown, the constant flux that we have been all in for the past two years vaccines and masks and mandates and how far can I leave my front door this week and how much toilet paper or baby wipes can I buy this week or not? Are they going to stop me at the count? Like all these things, whether it doesn't matter where you land on those issues, the fact is we've been going through the stress of having to ask those questions over the past two years. The anxiety, the depression, the disappointments that we've had to face collectively and individually and yet we are here. We are here, and we will look back at 2020 and 2021 with clear eyes, but we also want to look forward to the future with hearts full of hope about what God will continue to do in and through us. And if we are just willing to press forward together, if we're willing to not lose hope, to not tire of what God is calling us to do as a church, that I'm confident I'm more than confident that he's going to continue to do more than what we can think or imagine or even what we want. And towards that end, I want to pray before we open up the word. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that, in fact, the truest thing in the universe is that you are good. And we stand on that goodness. And I pray now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would be with us, that you would blow through this place. That there will be revivals going on in our hearts, even, Lord, as I speak. A broken man speaking a perfect, from a perfect word. Lord, I pray that you would use me because I know, we know that you could still draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring people near today through this word. Help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful. Help me to remember the things that will be and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, 
my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, Amen. Amen. This is a dash. I hope it comes up. This is a dash. It's nothing special. It's literally just a dash in crimson text font, not a flashy symbol. It's just a dash. But one day, one day, there's going to be a gray marble stone six feet over your head with a few kind words, the year of your birth, the year of your death with a dash. Mine is going to look a little bit something like this, I hope. So this will be my tombstone. And it'll say, you know, RIP as you do, you know. Uh, And I hope that my kind words would say something like this. Maybe devoted husband, an okay dad, I guess. A decent pastor, I hope, right? And he preached. Like, I'm not going to comment on whether that was good or not, but that's what he did, right? And so uh, this is what my tombstone is going to look like. And I gave myself 100 years, if you go to the next one. I gave myself 100 years because I'm generous like that, right? <laughs> and uh, I, my trust is in Elon Musk that he's going to do something and elongate my life in some way. Uh, but that dash, that little, that little dash represents so much that's a whole life that's that's a whole that's a whole grown life that small little dash a beautiful life a tragic life maybe a life full of irony a life full of joy and of sadness a life of distress a life of abundance a holy life devoted to the gospel a life a weird kind of life that was a mix of light and shadow but a life is all reduced to a dash. But it's through those dashes that the kingdom of God breaks through in our time. A wise mentor once told me to write my obituary when I'm, before I turned 40 years old. That was his advice to me. But before, well before your funeral happens, write your own obituary. And then what you write, you begin to cultivate. Because the question we all have, depending on how old we are at the moment or one day will have, is this, is what will be said? What will be said about me when I am gone? Will anything be said about me when I am gone? And if so, what is it? Because really the only funeral you want to be at is your own, right? You want to see who shows up and who doesn't, right? You want to see what people say about you or what they don't say about you, what is omitted, We all want our dashes to count, to mean something. We want to change the world, to leave it just a little bit better than what we entered into it. And if there's a question I want us to ask, and I'm not being morose by speaking about death and obituaries and things like that on our birthday, what I want us to ask on our first birthday is what is our dash going to be? What will be said of our dash? What are we going to do with what God has given us in our time for our time? When all is said and done and we are gone, because let me remind, like we will be gone. Like that's something that sometimes in our life it breaks through into us and we're shocked by it sometimes and we're sobered by it sometimes. The fact that there will be a point where almighty me will not be here anymore. What will be said? Because if we can just get a little clear on that question, if we can gain just a little bit of clarity over these next two weeks as we work this out over our lifetime, then I feel we can do something great for God. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Moses reminds us, 
from Psalm 90. He says, teach us our days. Teach us to number our days. Why? Not so that we can be depressive, not that it's wrong to be depressed, but not so we can be morose for the sake of moroseness, but so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. So what does it look like for us to gain a heart of wisdom? Because my goal is simply this, to lead and to cultivate a church that knows exactly what it's on about. I don't want anyone here to be confused about what we are doing and why we exist. No one. I want everyone to simply be clear on what we are doing and why we exist. To be a church that is devoted to both mission and maturity. To be a church that is devoted to evangelism and this word holiness. Both telling the good news, but also bearing the marks of it in our lives. To be a church that is committed to planting more healthy churches, embassies of the king. To be a church that welcomes the outsider. A church that is on about bearing witness to the kingdom of God in our time and in our lives. To be a church that pursues, pursues excellence because God does all things well. To be a church that not only listens to the Sermon on the Mount but, and, and has really cool theological reasons why we shouldn't follow it, but actually practice the Sermon on the Mount. And we get to where we're going, not just by hearing me speak about it for 30 minutes on a Sunday, but as we begin to take practical steps together to live this vision out. And so, we're going to spend today and next week doing just that, clarifying exactly why we exist and outlining some steps as to how we're going to embody and work towards that vision. And I want to say this, this is why we exist. We exist to share and to bear witness to the good news that Jesus is king. That is why you exist. That is why God has redeemed you. That is why he has rescued you. That's why in the words of Peter that we'll be talking about, he transferred you from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim that hell has been defeated in our lives, to show that Satan has been neutered, that death has been overturned, that we bear our shame no more, that it has been nailed to the cross, that we exist to gospelize the world. And in order to do that, we ourselves bear the marks of the kingdom. Not just our lips as we speak, but our bodies, our bones, our habits, our choices. We live out the gospel. We exist, to make it plain, to share the good news and to be shaped by the good news. And that is why we exist, to go out and to grow up, as it were. To tell the good news of Jesus and to reflect his good character to the world. And so 1 Peter, we're going to jump in here. So this sermon, uh, I'm really just going to focus on verse 9, uh, and then next week we'll go through verses 10 to 12. But you are, Peter says, this is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we're going to stop just there because we need to get something clear at the jump. That every single time, every single thing that I'm about to say to you about what we are called to do must, let me, let me must, 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 everything that I'm about to say must be preceded by who we are and whose we are. 
Let me explain. If I were to launch into our call to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home without first talking about who we are and whose we are, a few things can happen. You could be tempted to do this in your own strength. And you can use the mission of God as a way to earn your identity, your standing with him. Or you could look at your life and say, never, never, ever could I ever be capable of something like this. So you can either be led into pride or to despair. And both are going to be deadly to the mission of God. And that's where Peter's text takes us first. He tells us who we are and whose we are. Before there is a quote unquote, you do something, there is a you are someone. And so we need to be clear there. It's important to understand who Peter's talking to here, this mixed crowd of Jew and Gentile. He takes this language that's very familiar to him. If you remember, this language comes from Exodus 19. We, we walked, I don't know, it was like 10 or 19 weeks, I forget, through Exodus uh, last year. And Exodus 19.5 says this, Now therefore, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, this is, this is the way God works through Scripture and today. This is what he'll do. He'll choose a small community of people, and he'll work through them to bring renewal to the whole world. He calls Abraham in order to save the world. He calls Israel in order to save the world. It's through the one man, Jesus, that many are saved. God will choose to work through the small, the lowly, the slow, the weak in order to bring about his purposes. And it's no different with us. I mean, look at us, right? I've said this before, and you know I love you, but like we're, like, we're, we're, you know, I like, we're normal. We're like, we're ordinary folk. I think you're special, right? Like, oh, er, I think my kids are really special, right? Uh, but not everyone does, and, that, and that's okay, right? <laughs> I, I love you with a deep affection as your pastor. I, I think you are special, absolutely. But when we look at it, like no, no one here is like Kanye West or Elon Musk or you know, like we're just normal people. And that this is the thing that like that's a beautiful thing. That's how God works. It's so strange for me to hear in the in the sort of. Um, sort of popular Christian world. People get so excited when a celebrity becomes a Christian as if now God's work can begin. Now he can begin to affect culture, right? And now, no, no, it's now. It's this. It's when we go to gospel community and maybe we piss each other off, but we forgive one another. That is where the kingdom of God is. It is when we hurt one another unintentionally or intentionally and we can say, Let us, let's work through this. It's when we are together, not based on our, our, our color or our culture or what we make or what we drive, but it is past, it's the gospel that brings us together. That is what God is doing. This is what he has chosen to change the world. And the fact that you're not fainting right now with the weight of that proves that we, maybe we don't even get it. Maybe we're not even able to get it. God uses you and he uses me to renew the world. Like, that's massive. We are a chosen race. And notice, it doesn't say that we are choice. Right? This is a different word. It's a very different thing to say that someone is choice and chosen. 
It's not like God is waiting around. He sees you. He goes, wow, this one? Now this one I got to have on my team. This one's choice. I mean, do you know this kid? Do you you know who his parents are? Do you know how powerful his parents are? Do you know how much money they have? You're not choice. You're in in many ways an ordinary screw-up just like me in need of grace. And yet this is who he has, what? Chosen. We are chosen. You are chosen out of the many to proclaim him. And not only have you been chosen, but you are royal. You're royal priesthood. And I think if, if you think I was trying to say that just because we are sinners in need of grace and that we're all quote-unquote ordinary, that you are not royalty, don't get it twisted. We are royal. Psalm 8 reminds us that we were made just a little bit lower than the Elohim, than the heavenly beings. We are endowed with glory. We were meant to carry his presence into the world. You carry now, if you are a believer, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, right now, in your state, you are carrying the presence of God. You are a broker to the world of holiness and presence and wholeness and healing. You don't own the holiness. It's not intrinsic to you, and yet God is choosing to use us. Use are a chosen race. Use are a chosen, a royal priesthood. Use, he goes on to say, are a, ro- a holy nation. And this word, I want to pause here for just a second because we often think of this word holy as maybe boring. It comes with a large stick that goes somewhere. You're uptight. You, uh, you're very generous with judgment and very, very stingy with grace. That is what we think when we think of the word holy. Who wants to be holy if that's what it means to be holy? I'd much rather be relevant than holy. That's the ill of our generation today. We think holy is boring. We think holy is something that is strictly just moral. But holy is a much larger category in Scripture. Holy means that you have been set apart for his purposes. Does that mean morality? Absolutely, that is included. We behave in a certain way. I'm not a, against that, but what I'm saying, it's larger than that. And finally, Peter speaks about us being a people of his own possession. And this may be the most countercultural idea in this text. The fact that this text is saying that you are owned by someone else, you are owned. You are not your own. God forbid that anyone or anything would say that they own me. But the reality is, whether we acknowledge it or not, God owns us. And that is a beautiful and safe reality for us. We realize that to be truly free, we must recognize and live into the fact that we are not our own. Now, there's much more to say, but let me, let me just wrap this up real quick. I want you to hear me, that before I ask you to do anything, this is what's true about you. You have been chosen, which means that you are loved. And if we're going to walk out into any purposes this year, we must understand, before you are asked to do anything, you are loved. You have been chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You have been beautifully created with purpose You are a holy nation. You have been set apart for the sake of the world. You are God's possession. You are not your own. And when we get this, when we really, really get this, not just up here, but in our hearts, in our bones, in our habits, 
when this sneaks up in us, in our imaginations, that we begin to not only do things a certain way, but think a certain way and see the world in a whole new way, this becomes our driving passion. That you're, you, you begin to see your life not with the gospel or, or church activities or sharing the good news as an add-on to your life. Your life begins to have this new gravitational center of the good news of Jesus, that everything you do, your sex life, the way you use your body, the way you manage your singleness and your marriage, your money, your job, your, the way that you pursue a career, where you live, everything becomes centered on the good news of Jesus. The thing that shapes your whole life, everything, the way that you work, the way that you play, the way that you treat your money and your body, the way you steward your sexuality, the way you use your possessions, what activities you decide to engage in or not. It all becomes a beautiful expression of your allegiance to the king. So that, and this happens so that, that you, 1 Peter 2, 9, the second part of the verse, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. All of that is going somewhere. All of it is going to do something. The world has been utterly transformed by this so that. We have been chosen so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God. We have been we have been made royal priests so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God. We are a holy nation so that we can proclaim the excellencies of God, his beauty. We are God's possession, not so that we can hoard it, but so that we can give it. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian here today, you are a Christian for the sake of others. That is so important for us to get, that we exist to not just meet here on Sundays in our homes, in gospel communities, throughout the week as family, simply for ourselves. I mean, do we benefit? I have benefited greatly by being a part of this community, being a part of a gospel community in our home, being a part of what we are doing here on Sunday afternoons, and yet this is not simply for me. I remember one time someone said this, and it stuck with me, that salvation has come to you. Grace has come to you on the way to someone else. You just got in the way. And then God says, well, I'm going to conscript you now to then be the carrier of that good news to where it was going. The good news comes to you on the way to someone else. Because we must remember that mission is a what? An explosion of joy. As we enjoy what has come to us, we can freely give that to others. Sharing, proclaiming his excellence. He's the one who called us out of darkness. And so this is the point. Anchor Southwest. By the way, when I said I was wrapping it up, it was that point, not the sermon. <laughs> you look confused. <laughs> this is the point, that we exist to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home. This is what we believe God has specifically called us to do in and for this city. And I really do believe that that matters, that that has eternal significance I believe that God wants to do more than what we can think or imagine. If he can take a little boy's lunch pail, if he can take a couple fish and a few loaves of bread and feed the multitude, not only once but twice, imagine what he can do with and 
through us. Imagine what he can do with a gang of folk who are ready to lay down their lives for one another, to lay down their preferences, to lay down their privileges the way Jesus does in Philippians chapter 2 for the sake of others. What would this place look like on our second birthday? What is it going to look like on our fifth, on our tenth, on our twentieth? Like if I think my back hurts now, 20 years preaching, I don't know if I can do it. What will it look like if not only we believe this, but we practice this? Central to our heart, to our vision, to our call is to partner with God in doing whatever it takes to bring the wayward home because that is what brings renewal to the world. That is what we are on about because there are people to be baptized. There are babies to be adopted. There are homeless to feed and clothe in the city that God has appointed to us to do. There are renewal projects in this city to start or be a part of. There are nonprofits waiting to be birthed in this room even. There are friends and families of ours to be saved. There are enemies to be reconciled with. There is kingdom work to get on about. And the question for us is, will you join in? Are you in? Like, that's not a rhetorical question. Maybe you don't need to answer that out loud. Don't embarrass yourself. But I'm asking a real question. This is not just theatrics. I'm asking a real question. Are you in? And I don't mean will you just come to Sunday service, although that's a major part of what it means to be the church. I mean will you commit to doing whatever it takes at work to bring the wayward home? Will you see that as your mission field? That is not a distraction to the mission of God. If you're home and you're changing diapers, that is not a distraction to God's mission for your life in this season. If you are a teacher, if you are a firefighter, if you are a lawyer, if you are a photographer, I'm trying to think, if you are a nurse, if you are anything else that you do, accountants, everything that we do is God's mission for us to do. Will you commit to doing that for the sake of the glory of God? Will you commit to do whatever it takes in your friendship circles who don't know Jesus? Will you commit to do whatever it takes in your neighborhood to bring the wayward home? Will you commit to do whatever it takes at your school or your university if you are studying to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward home? Can you sign up for this, this local expression, this ordinary, broken expression of God's body in this world? And maybe for you, the first step is simply to become a Christian here today. Maybe you're sitting here and you've realized that you are not. The first step for you is to actually give your life to Christ today, to actually say yes to being called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Maybe you've already repented of your waywardness and you are a believer. Maybe you are a Christian. If you feel that this is you, I want to reassure you that this is what God is calling us to now, in this place, in this time. And my my heart for you is that we would simply get after it. Get after not just talking about being the church, but actually being the church for this place and time. All I want, all I want for us, for you, for this church to be is to be a church in the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the purposes of God for this generation. All I want for us to do is just to get on with the work that he is calling us to. And I'd love for us to put some flesh 
on this call to do whatever it takes. And in 2022, I think we could do at least three things, three very practical things to uh, become the kind of church that non-coercively and naturally proclaims his excellencies to the world. The first thing is simply this. It's five for five. We've spoken about this before. It's a small uh, a bookmark that you can find on the Connect Desk there. And all that is, it gives you an opportunity to write down five friends' names and you commit to doing five things for them, praying for your not-yet-believing friends, that they would come to know the grace of God. Number two, that you would contact that friend at least weekly, that they would come to the, that in, the, in the hope that they would come to the knowledge and experience of the love of Christ, that you would find some way to bless them once a month, that you would invite them, number four, to special events, and finally, that you would share your faith as the Holy Spirit guides you. And every single one of us, whether it's for five friends or for one friend, can make a start. What does it look like to shape our life? around the call to do whatever it takes to see people come home to him. The second thing we could do as we gather in our gospel communities is that we would then take those five for fives. Not just, uh, you're not on mission by yourself, but that we would pray for your friends all together by name. And the third thing, real quick, is that we are hosting Alpha this year, and we would love to do this actually as a whole community effort. And whether you'd like to be trained as a leader uh, or you just want to cook for us, help us run the sessions, help us set up or pack down, these are three very practical, non-earth-shattering ways to actually get on about the mission that God has given us to do. The explosive power of the Holy Spirit is found just there in our everyday faithfulness to being what he has called us to be. And so, and I am finishing now. Anchor Southwest, I couldn't think of anything else that I would want to commit my life to, that I would want to spend the rest of my life pursuing than this. What does it mean? How, how can we figure out together what it means to be the church in and for this generation? And every single one of us, Every single one of us has a part to play. Together, we can do this. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you what, uh, that you have called us to be yours. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness and into marvelous light to proclaim your marvelous light. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would be drawing us, that you would be uh, reviving our hearts even now, that we would get clear on what our part of, of this mission in this particular place is. Help us to do that, not in our own strength and not for our own sake, but Lord, for the sake of your holy name and for the sake of those who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus' saving grace. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy birthday, y'all.